I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to my good, bad brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Good Sunday. Good Sunday. Uh, you guys are, this is actually good timing because, um, we don't have to shoot the shit anymore. We can just get right into questions. <laughs> My slightly hungover brain. Okay. Um, all right. So here's the first question we got today. Uh, okay. hi, Jarrett. I have a question. I hope you'll ask on the podcast. What do you think is the best way to balance addressing how you feel about how a friend acted while also taking their feelings into account? If I'm frustrated or upset at a friend, I would want to be able to tell them so without feeling like I'm disregarding their feelings. I grew up in an unstable home environment where addressing how you feel about a situation results in you being yelled at or your feelings disregarded. I know that that won't be the case in other situations, but it's a pattern I've grown to expect and it's hard to break out of. Um, Because of it, I tend to throw away my own feelings because it just seems easier than seemingly trying to rock the boat. I also think I think that's interesting because this came up. I mean, this comes up a lot where you where a friend asks, like, I feel like it's the same thing or similar. Where a friend is like, "Hey, am I the asshole in this situation?" And you have to be, and they you think they are, and like, how do you? Wouldn't you know that they just want you to say like, "No," but anyway. But in fact, fact they are. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, I'm actually actually playing a video that I'm going to send to you in the chat. So, yeah, this is like a great question, and it's something I think. it's very relatable. Um, and there are a lot of kind of issues commingled, but let's kind of start, start at the beginning. So one, it sounds like this person has a learning history that when they try to address how they feel about an interaction with someone, they get punished for it. So that that's part of your learning history. So it's, of course, makes perfect sense that you would be concerned that that might happen now because it did happen. Um, you know, the other, the other piece that I'm hearing is they want to be able to describe how they feel about the situation while at the same time not hurting the other person's feelings. So sometimes that's possible and sometimes it's not. And nobody gets to go through life without ever having their feelings be hurt. Okay, so that, that's one thing. But if you do it in a way that's compassionate and skillful, mm-hmm. then you maximize your chance of expressing yourself in a way that's consistent with your values and minimizes the chance of hurting the other person. Although, you know, the reality is that you may hurt their feelings a little bit. So th- there's a skill in dialectical behavior therapy that I think is really good for this. And it's called the dear man. Uh, and that acronym is, so I'll, I'll send it to you. There's okay. a video here, uh, Jared, that I'll send to you. We can put it up. Um, but if you Google dear man, you can see a lot of different ways to do this. Um, Actually, if you don't mind, will, will you, yeah. instead of putting it, you can put it in the chat and I'll get it later. But also, um, if you just email it to me, I can drag it into the, our chat right now. Ah, okay. Yeah, let me, let me email it to you. So what it does is basically, I'll, I'll call it boil it down. I mean, you should 
you should read it yourself, but to, to boil it down, the critical piece is to keep it concise and direct. So you're going to describe the situation, like all this, sh- each of these things should be like one or two sentences max. Like don't ramble on to try to soften it because you want to, don't, don't do any of that. Describe the situation. Hey, you know, yesterday I asked what you thought of my outfit and you said I look like a hippo. Okay. So just bare facts, no judgments. Describe, express your feelings. That made me feel sad. Uh, assert, right? So you want to be direct in what you're asking for. Like, what do you, and you got to think about this beforehand. What do you want out of the situation? Do you want them to apologize? Do you want to just be heard? Are you asking for behavior change? Because that's important, right? So a lot of times people think, oh, I just want to be heard. But what they really want is behavior change Mm -hmm. from the other person or vice versa. So you got to figure that out beforehand. And in a lot of cases, uh, kind of the best you can hope for is just that you clearly describe how you were feeling. Getting Mm -hmm. someone else to change their behavior or validate you can be a hard sell, especially if they lack the skills to do validation. So you got to figure that out beforehand, what you want. But you're going to describe, express your emotion, like ask for what you want, assert what you want, ask directly for it. Uh, and then, oh, fuck, this has been a while since I did this. Hold on. Yeah, no problem. It's it's interesting. Earlier you said something too, <clears throat> uh, just reminded me of a, a little saying I've been I've heard, which is um, honesty without compassion is aggression. Um that like uh so like the wrong way to do it really but like that uh you know people who just just say shitty things they go i'm just being honest i'm just being you know and you're like that's not oh sorry i'm just telling the truth i'm just being honest but that's not really that's a disingenuous thing to say you know well that you got that's why you need to figure out what you're okay so let me i'll I'll walk through the whole thing that's why you need to figure out what you want from the situation and you got to be clear about that like Take time first to figure out what do I want to get out of this interaction, right? Do you want validation? Do you just want to say your truth? Are you asking that person to change their behavior? I need to say that directly. So you're going to describe mm-hmm. the situation, express your feeling, assert what you want or ask for what you want, and then reinforce the other person. It's tricky though. You can't be, you can't manipulative reinforce. Well, if you don't do this, I'm not going to do X, right? You reinforce like, you know, if you would think a little bit more about my feelings before you talk to me. That just would make me feel better about our relationship. That's the reinforcer. And remember the reinforcer has to be reinforcing to the person you're talking to, not for you, right? Reinforcers are effective for the audience. Mm. Okay? So describe, express your feelings, assert what you want and reinforce ahead of time. And then the man part of the acronym You have to stay mindful, which means don't get derailed. You know, in conversation, for example, let's say I want to say to Jared, um, you know, the other day in jujitsu, you got me in a neck crank. It really hurt and it interferes with my learning. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't submit me with a neck crank. And that would help me learn and make me a better rolling partner for you too. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the deer. Short and sweet. Okay. You've not done that, by the way. That's no, that's fine, though. It's To which I would okay. say, <clears throat> toughen up. Jared says something to me like, well, just get better, bro. You know, like, <laughs> that's part of the game. Just get better. And if I'm like, well, fuck you, you know, then it doesn't work <clears throat> yeah. out. So I got to stay mindful. It's like, okay, I hear you. Yeah, I do need to get better. But let me go back to my request. Please don't submit me with a net crank. Yeah, well, net crank's part of the game. We teach it in school. You know, you need to learn to deal with it. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But at the same time, what I'm asking you now is, can you please not submit me with a net crank? Don't get derailed. Keep on coming back, like beating a drum. Keep coming back to your ass. Mm -hmm. Appear confident, even if you're not. But then be willing to negotiate, you know? That's the end, negotiate? Yeah, be willing to negotiate. Yeah. But figure out where your boundaries are before. Don't just negotiate in the moment because if you don't have great boundaries, you're going to just give away the game. So figure out beforehand, like write it down, what your boundaries are. So maybe Jared says, well, look, man, I really like the neck crank. And I'm like, all right, well, put me in it. And then, you know, we'll just – I'll tap in that position, but then let's stay in that position and go to something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, to yeah. use two examples. 
Yeah, okay, that's that's helpful. I'm going to email you this, but but I would recommend that people read the Dear Man. It's a very effective strategy for communicating when yeah. you know because of your learning history, your boundaries are a little porous. Um, but here's the other thing: sometimes feelings have to be hurt for relationships to get better, and that's okay. Oh, nobody really gets good. to go through life without having their feelings be hurt. People need to be able to have their feelings hurt and recover from that and dialogue about it in mm. a adult relationship. And it's not your job to protect people if you are being compassionate and doing your very best. And both people have enough skill to regulate their emotions and come yeah. back and talk about what happened. That can actually increase the strength of a relationship. So I'll yeah. email you right now. That's, that's really um, important, I think, because, I don't know, for me, I think the the other the, the response to this, if I'm, well, I mean, you know, I think we all have experiences with this kind of thing, is like the worst thing the worst thing I feel like is uh, that's happened to me in my life is you, you get raised on stories and stuff that are like, you know, if you just behave correctly, be honest, be be vulnerable, then people will be cool and it'll all be less bad than you than you think it's going to be. But like, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people haven't done their work and have it, you know, or whatever. And so you do this, you, you dear man yourself, you get ready, you know, you, you psych up, you tell your friend and it is worse than you feared it would be. They just fucking melt down on you. They fucking silence you. They treat you like absolute. They go, they fuck you. They make you feel like a bad, they do every manipulative thing in the book and you just feel like shit, like the worst possible outcome happened. So what, what about that? What, when that happens, what? Yeah. So you may be in a relationship, friendship, romantic relationship with someone who is in a, who has a serious skills, interpersonal skills deficit. And then I think you need to ask yourself, okay, is this an important enough relationship that I want to try to like, uh, kind of go meta with this person where I talk about the nature of the relationship itself and talk about the skills I want us both to try, you know, maybe we Mm. kind of do that together. You also may be in a friendship or another type of relationship with someone where that's just not in the cards. They're not there in their kind of personal development. They, it's too difficult or painful for them to do that. And you need to decide what kind of relationship do I want to have with this person? You know? Yes. I'm pasting. I'm listening. I'm also pasting these links into the chat for people. Yeah. And so I think some relationships, you know, some sometimes relationships are so damaging to you because of someone else's skills deficit that you can't be in that relationship, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship. I think you got to ask yourself that honestly. You know, other times the person, you know, you you can have a different type of relationship with them. Maybe that's not a person who you can invest all your trust in or who you come to with difficult stuff. For val- they don't know how to validate, so you can't go to them for validation. Yeah, And then, you know, you got to decide the nature of the relationship you want to have. Um, yeah, I think I, again, I, my dad is my go-to difficult relationship for, yeah. so he's, he's a lot gentler and better in a lot of ways. And, and I feel like part of the reason it feels that way is also just cause I choose not to enter into different things. I think it's better. I think, you know, maybe he's done a little of his own. He's changed a little, but still just doesn't, you know, whatever. I'll just say he's my main example. And, um, I think the best thing for that relationship was when I just basically came to the conclusion that he's not going to change or whatever. And that, that really is fucking doesn't have to do with me. And I had done my thing where I was like, I, when I was a teenager, even like my little brothers at some point, some of my siblings had to cut him off for a period of time. And it was totally right for them. You know, like they just, they were like, I can't, and I, I got a little flack from my family for not totally. And I was just like, I just know I'm going to want to maintain connection with this person who's half my genetics. And I, and I'd rather like try to learn from and see, even though I know he, who he's going to be and what's he, you know, I just, I feel like it informs me about myself. And once I basically set the boundary for myself, that was like my expectation from him changed and it was no longer like hoping this person who was going to act differently. It was like, I'm here on my terms I know what's going to happen. I'm not fooling myself. And it's a little sad. It's like a little bit of a surrender somewhere in me. But yeah. you're also just like, I, I, I got to be a grown up about it and just like know what's 
what's going to happen and not have my hopes up in any ways and, and, and get, be here for my own reasons. You know, I think that's the key. So another kind of little phrase they say in DBT is that all you can do is keep your side of the street clean. That's all you can do. Yeah. So you got to keep your side of the street clean and then it's up to the other person to keep their side of the street clean. And you have to decide, do you want to be neighbors with someone whose street is always a fucking mess? Right. That's up to you. You know, you're, it's, there's definitely also folks in my life that I did the same inventory and was like, no, yeah, (laughs) you know, there's a part of me that me too, where the relationship really changed a lot and it's just not as close and that's okay. It's, it hurts, you know, but that's part of like there being some pain in life. You know? Yeah, I was actually at least one of those fr- those friendship relationships where my body had like a little bit of a revolt after some things and just like instinctively distanced. I was kind of s- proud of it. I was like, oh, I have survival instincts now, <laughs> you know, that I was like, that's just too much. I just don't feel like it's it sounds like such big, intense language to go like that doesn't feel safe. But that was just the in- the thing in my head was like, this is not trustworthy. There's something weird here. I just don't want to be as close to it yeah yeah i'm grateful for that i also just um you know i always try to keep it anonymous the people who are asking questions and so but the, you know then y- y'all just engage in the chat so i'm like all right you could but um the person who asked this question was like uh i was talking to a friend about another friend who had done something that put me in a weird situation friend one said if i ever do something like that i want you to be able to tell me and i thought man i don't know if i can and that's where this question came out of and yeah. um so- yeah yeah, so I think the barrier there, again, like think back to the learning history that this person described where they were punished for sharing their feelings. Of course, I mean, let, let's put it this way. It wouldn't make any sense at all for you to feel totally free sharing because in the past you've been punished for it. I mean, it's literally like a behavioral reinforcer to not do that behavior because you got punished for it. Yeah. So you're, the, the thing that this person's going to have to do is push themselves to overcome that learned response, which is hard. And so I would pick someone who in your mind when you're not feeling anxious about it or when your anxiety is at a relative minimum, pick someone to start with who you're pretty sure has a set of good emotion regulation skills themselves and is less likely to be punishing because you want to build, you know, some reinforcers and then talk about it with them afterwards. Like, what was it like when I did that with you? Resist the urge to minimize your feelings and to comfort them. Resist that urge. Mm. Like, Engage with them as a human being who is not fragile, who is able to regulate their feelings and who has skills and talk about it like two fucking human beings, you know, Um, and just know that it's going to be hard for you because of your learning experience. And it makes perfect sense that it's hard for you. So so pick somebody who's going to be who you think in your estimation and in your experience is more likely to provide positive reinforcement. And this person sounds like a good person to start with because they directly told you that they want you to do that. Yeah. So take them at their word. You know, they directly told you that. That's yeah. That's actually, that's almost like a nice way to like practice too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I got another one for you. I think this one, uh, this one seems very, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are, are going to, we kind of gotten questions about this in the past, but I'm gonna we're gonna bring it up again. Um, it'd be amazing if you and Doctor Nick could talk about the issue of human touch during this time of coronavirus. I suffer from anxiety, and touch is important to my self care. But my options have become extremely limited. My friends are no longer comfortable hugging. My family is not comfortable visiting because I rent out rooms in my home and have a bit have a, a group living situation. I'm single, and dating is difficult right now. I don't have pets except for backyard chickens, and they aren't big on hugs. My only option <laughs> seems to be to get a massage from my physical therapist, whose clinic is still open. My anxiety could be debilitating, and I wonder whether risking getting the coronavirus might be worth some human contact, because if I can't keep my anxiety under control, really bad things happen. But of course, getting COVID-19 surely wouldn't help things, and I'm maxed out on psychiatric drugs, so I need a non-drug solution. Yeah. So, right. So I think to start at the beginning with just some validation, I think, yeah, you are not alone in craving human touch. I think a lot of people, you know, we're all on a spectrum of how much we need, um, you know, but I think people who are more on the side of the curve where they really like human touch and, and want more of it and aren't able, able to get it, that sucks. You know, yeah. that really sucks. It's really painful. 
and it has real, you know, psychological effects and, and makes things more difficult. I, I think that's absolutely the case. And so I feel for you. That's really rough. Yeah. I mean, I will um, say, um, yeah, go ahead. I just, uh, I, gr- I feel you. I'm human touches like absolutely my love language if you if you're into that kind of thing touch is very important to me and um i do know like one time when i was uh single and very depressed and very alone in la and stuff like that uh my mom i told my mom i just feel bad and whatever and the first thing she said was like are you getting touch are you getting any touch you should get a massage so (laughs) i i don't think that's like necessarily a bad idea if you have a physical therapist who's still available like you know yeah, I agree. So I think, you know, the other thing to kind of move forward and the, I think the other thing is, you know, all touch has to be consensual, right? Um, so, yeah, you know, if you're not able to get like kind of, um, I don't know, like extemporaneous consensual touch from people in your life who you love, that's hard and that sucks. I think if you, yeah, as Jared said, if you have the option to go get a massage and you can like take measures, both people are wearing masks and, you know, you take a shower afterwards and wash the clothes, you know, follow the kind of CDC guidelines. Maybe that's worth it. You know, I would though, I can kind of hear in the background a little bit of the anxiety burbling up in this question. Um, You know, I can see you kind of doing if then scenarios in your brain, is it worth it? And um, I would examine the assumption that if you don't get this, you're going to have debilitating anxiety. That to me, that assumption I think is embedded in the question. And I would challenge yourself. Is that really the case? You know, Mm. are there steps you can take because to tolerate this lack of a thing that's really important to you and that causes genuine pain and difficulty, is there an intermediate ground Mm. between uh, touch and no touch and debilitating anxiety? I would challenge you on that assumption. Uh, And at the same time, I think if you have access to this to massage and you can do it safely and it's important for you, then I would take all the precautions you can get it and uh, be unmindful of the anxieties that will undoubtedly enter into your brain as a result of that decision. You know, once you've done all the problem solving, you can't like anxiety helps us to problem solve. It kind of points out areas where we need to problem solve. But after you've done problem solving and you've known new information about it, it's time to be unmindful of the anxiety. Hmm. So that's to sum interesting. that up, makes perfect sense that you feel that way. I think a lot of people feel that way. I would examine the embedded assumption that without this, you're going to have debilitating anxiety uh, and come up with some strategies to uh, push back on that. Hmm. Do all the problem solving you can around how to safely get massage. Talk about it with your provider um, and then be unmindful of worries if you do ultimately decide to do that and problem solve around. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Um, what about, do you find, I don't know, um, what was I going to say? Okay, two things. I'm just going to say these things that help me. I don't know if there's, I'm curious also if there's any like studies or something that, you know, about like, you know, oxytocin release or whatever the hell, you know. Oh, yeah. There are a lot people. of studies on massage. Massage has a lot of benefits. Oh, just actual, just from any anybody kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that there there are different modalities. Like, I know that Swedish massage has uh, some benefits in the literature. Let me take a. There, sure. I'm sure, there are other types. Well, That's the one that I remember. While you're uh, looking, whatever you want to look up, I um I will say things that help me, and I don't know, just that are little substitutes, perhaps for some of this um kind of stuff are uh. Okay, I've got actually a couple weird. Some of these are like kind of kooky. Okay, okay. One is just weighted blankets feel fucking great for anxiety. Uh, you know, just some some I don't know. You order one of those from uh, the internet, and I have this like twenty five pound weighted blanket that is very calming. Um, I fucking love that thing. Just the pressure of it. I don't know. Two um, modalities of self massage. Um, I think can help a little bit. Um, like uh. Just a foam roller. If you just get like a foam roller or a lacrosse ball and spend some time jacking up your fascia, um, that might help calm your body down uh, potentially. That like helps me um, because you can really get some good pressure in there and it almost does feel like another person when you have this object and you're just rolling over this this thing. It's so good and intense. Um, I also did um, 
a session with my acupuncturist who I hadn't seen in person in a long, long time, but I'm having a, a shoulder issue. And they posted some stuff on um, their their social media that they were doing these remote sessions. And I was like, how the hell could I do an acupuncture session remotely that would help me? And it was amazing. They, they gave me like little pressure points and stuff that I would do and they would I would show them on the thing and they would show me how to do things to myself and also the gua sha um, thing. We did, we did a whole session of it last Sunday on the, the quarantine thing. That was nice. And my mom has this weird little trick. And I don't know, this might seem crazy, but it's worth a try if you have a friend who's into it. Um, we do this family Zoom call like once a week where just like a lot of the family gets on and says hi and we check in. And, um, and there, and Allie, I, th- yeah, it was Allie and my mom. They did it like, I thought it was so silly, but, um, my mom was like, do this thing that like tricks your mirror neurons where you would look at each other and you, and basically one person would be like, you mimic, they go, I'm going to take my hand and this is my hand. And you, you do the same thing to your face and just lightly, you would do this thing and and do exactly what they were doing and it does this weird you're like whoa it almost feels like the other person is doing it and it was this really sweet like there's this weird um you can find online there's this there's this weird study they they've done where like people uh they put a a, a blinder and they put their real hand on the table and then a fake hand on the table and the other yeah. person like p- touches it with a feather and all these things and the person who's sitting there at the table is like weirdly and then they'll just bring a hammer out and smash the hand and the person always goes like ah like they think you know when when obviously it can't be affecting them it's a fake hand it's not them but there is this weird trick of your mirror neurons and stuff that i don't know it might be worth trying if you have a a a willing accomplice you know anyway i just do a good like a kind of good massage study but yeah they're they're like immunological and uh other psychological benefits um, but I do like what you said a lot about – oh, this is a PDF, so I will put this in the drive. I, I've got a lot of good, bad brain updating to do for everybody. But um, uh, wait, you just said something you – know, oh, what you said about challenging the assumption that this is definitely how you're going to feel is really cool. And and you know, basically using this time as like a, a, an excuse or a, or a reason that's outside of your control to um, – try to challenge what you thought you knew about yourself and be like, well, this is the reality now. What can I do? Will I really react the same way forever? I don't know. I always also recommend uh, this Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, when when people are like going through suffering because it's like the worst suffering that a human being can go through. And he, he writes very eloquently and persuasively about how to kind of deal with that internally. So, that it's short too. There's like two parts mm. to it. One is on like his experience in Auschwitz and the other is like the development of his own like type of therapy, which I think mean, skip, but the part about him in Auschwitz is like 90 pages and it's very, very moving and good. Um, the key is to like not compare your situation to that and use it to like undermine your own experience. Like mm. that's not the point. The point right. is to learn what this person went through and see if it could help you at all. Um, yes. That's great. I recommend it. Um, a couple people in the chat said one person said you could hug the chickens if you try hard enough, <laughs> which I don't think is helpful, but funny. <laughs> um, and uh, someone said, uh, "Wait, not weigh in on that." Yeah, right. And then someone else said, "I'm too old for it, but let me tell you, a stuffed animal is better than nothing." And I, you know, get one of those body pillows. Who says you're too old for it? Yeah, I agree. Fuck that. Um, okay, let's see. Um, I got this. I, this is. Uh, I'm just gonna. We'll just go read and see what happens. Hopefully, there's nothing weird in here. Okay, I can say. I've this pod. Okay. Um, get ready to go. Two questions. Uh, but don't feel like you need to talk about either of them on stream. But in case you do, okay, fine. Here we go. Uh, <coughs> all right. Here we go. One. Uh, one is. Uh, so we have about twenty. I think we'll do one of these. Here we go. Okay. So no easy way to say this, but my friend killed himself two years ago. And the past bit has been the, quote, anniversary week of everything. It's felt unbearable being in quarantine and having to face this, you know, alone. I think to myself, 
oh, today is the last day I talked to him, or oh, today was when I got the news, or oh, two years ago today I was at a funeral. I was just wondering if you or Dr. Nick had any general advice for dealing with the pain and grief left over from when a loved one takes their life, especially when you've experienced some suicidal thoughts yourself at times. Uh, Side note, I do have a new therapist who is a clinical traumatologist, and we're going to be starting to deal with some trauma PTSD stuff since I got some of that. So that's very good. But um, with with that said, how's the, what do you got, Doctor Nick? Yeah, I mean, you know, grief and loss is really, really, really difficult. Um, there is kind of no like easy answer for that. Uh, I would say a couple of things. One is if there are groups like grief and loss groups. And I think that grief and loss in a group process can be like talking about grief and loss in, in a group context can be really helpful. Um, so there may even be like online, I'm certain there are uh, online kind of grief process groups. So, and there may be, I would imagine that there are even online grief process groups for people who have died by suicide. So that's one option. Um, I also think, though, that especially, you know, when you get kind of further in time away from the death, that having a frame that you impose around your grieving process becomes important. So, you know, especially on the anniversary, if you can kind of, you know, you can think about like uh, if, if you're religious, you can kind of stay within the frame of your religious process. Or if you're not religious, uh you can kind of come up with your own sort of secular ritual and, you know, whether it's like lighting a candle and remembering some positive thoughts about this person, whatever it is for you. But I would give yourself like a day and a time limit and a specific ritual process and use that to try to contain some of the feelings Mm. Um, because that's what ritual is about. It's about containing uncertainty and feelings. So, I would try that yourself, you know, and maybe if there are other people who you share, uh, like a friendship with who you shared a friendship with this person with, with whom you shared a friendship with this person, you guys can do kind of like a remote meetup and spend a little time talking about this person, see if that's appropriate or makes sense. Um, but the, the kind of key is to practice some kind of ritual and containment around the feeling. And then when you find yourself having intrusive thoughts about this person, if you choose to go this route, you know, uh, but when you find yourself having intrusive thoughts about this person outside of that kind of framework to choose to be unmindful of those, uh, mm. even though they will, especially in the beginning, intrude over and over and over again, you know, and each time they come up, just gently like choose to be unmindful of them, kind of like let the balloon go, you know, of that thought um, when it comes up and you may have to let that balloon go many times, especially in the beginning. Um, so that, that would be my, my suggestion for that. Yeah. Maybe finding a, a grief and loss process group remotely or kind of making one of, of your own with people who shared a relationship with this person um, and trying to contain those feelings within a, a ritual framework that you come up with and then continue to see your, your therapist. Yeah. Yes, that's that sounds really helpful. I, I do think, I mean, one thing quarantine, uh, whatever this time has... Uh, illustrated for me, I guess, is like the power uh, more and more of those even like virtual quote unquote groups, like with this technology we have, like, oh, I'm going to have a question from the chat. I'm going to ask you in a second. But um, the uh, quarantine is a good example of like doing this every day at noon workout thing has really unexpectedly turned into this group of the, the, the regulars who come around with it, you know, it's like, very supportive in this weird way and yeah we just get together to sweat at noon and usually hang out and chat a little bit whatever but that group of people all over the world country world you know but world um just having them to show up and know that we're all kind of experiencing a thing together and checking in and it's been really nice and it's it's interesting because i've been thinking a lot about how peculiar relationship forming is because there's definitely it definitely feels like you have verticals in your life of people like there are your family 
And then there's people who became your friends uh, through physical, you know, work or things like that. And they're just around in your life or, and then the friends with like who have common interests with you and just how strange it is, like who gets the priority, who feels like a real friend and not, and that these virtual friendships and relationships, like it's, I don't know, it's weird. It's like they, they creep up on you that you're like, oh, this feels really real. Like this is validating in a real way, even though I may have like never seen your face outside of like the avatar <laughs> that you, you know, um, and how strange that is, but just to basically not like question it too much and just say like, yeah, these are, I don't know. I think I came to some conclusion a while ago because of my family, basically. My family's this big hodgepodge of, you know, different relationships and marriages and remarriages and things like that. That, um, you know, who, who your family is to me has just settled into like who shows up and who sticks around. And, um, like with my closest friendships too is like, uh, sometimes I, I almost feel like, it reflects on my poor instincts as a person or whatever my, my boundary issues. A lot of the times the people who I meet who are like bright and shiny to me and I'm obsessed, like, you know, you feel crushy about them. You're like, I want that person to be in my life and like, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're not the one. There's like somebody else that a few years later that you met at the same time that you're like, I never talked to that other shiny person at all, quote unquote. And the person who's really important to me, who's we've stuck around for each other is this like, quieter presence or something like that and uh i don't know maybe just allowing yourself to recognize like these relationships and allowing yourself to build them and i definitely think in this in these strange times people that you meet like i love the idea of finding some support group and and there's so many of those kinds of little communities that um yeah when people have a common issue that it just you come together over it you know (laughs) I would also just add one more thing, which kind of touches on what you said, Jared. You know, I think it's natural. People kind of are questioning, like asking questions about like how, whether it makes sense to feel good about these virtual connections. I would just say, don't talk yourself out of positive experiences. Damn, yeah. If you're having a positive experience, fucking enjoy it. There, there's going to be plenty of shitty experiences down the pipe. That's just part of the deal, you know. So don't spend time talking yourself out of your good experiences. Just enjoy them. Yes, that's such good advice. That's so hard to fucking follow, too. Um, someone in chat asked, uh, can you explain unmindful? Yes, so great question. So whereas mindfulness would be the intentional choosing of applying your attention to uh, uh, an internal experience that you're having in the moment, a thought, a feeling, a sensation, a behavioral urge, being unmindful is choosing to withdraw your attention from a spontaneous thought, emotion, mm. physical experience, whatever. So mindfulness is about imagine a imagine a your attention is a spotlight. And the spotlight illuminates like one thing at a time in a dark room. Most of the time what happens if you haven't trained that attention, that spotlight, is that whatever thing like makes a noise or pops up, the light just goes to it, like all over the fucking place. Like, oh, this is here. I'm looking at mm-hmm. this. But now this and now this. And it's just moving around like that. When you train your attention, like through meditation practice, you gain control over where to aim the spotlight. You don't have to control what's in the room. Shit just comes in and out of there, you know, thoughts or feelings, whatever. But if you can control the spotlight, you have much more say about what you focus on and what affects you. Mm. And so being mindful means shining that light where you choose to shine it. And being unmindful means taking it off of stuff that you don't want to focus on in this moment. Right. So if I'm at, when I say like be unmindful of worry, like let's say I make a decision. Okay. I am going to have a conversation about this person, you know, about a boundary violation with Jarrett. I'm going to tell him how I felt about it. I'm going to ask him to please respect this boundary. And I map it all out. I plan it. I think about it. There's no new information. I have my plan. And then I'm like, oh, but fuck, what if this happens? What if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? I'm going to choose to be unmindful of that. I'm going to withdraw my attention from those what ifs. And I'm going to place it back onto the plan that I've made. And I'm going to do that a thousand times if I need to, right? If a thousand distractions come up a thousand times, I'm going to be unmindful of those, withdraw my attention from them and put it back on the plan that I came up with. That's cool. That's like very reassuring too, to like 
believe that just to there's the belief that would then lead i feel like that's half the battle that you have control over your thoughts and well the, you don't have control over your thoughts but where your you attention goes attention. yes that's, which is great yes. you don't need control over your thoughts right if you have control over your attention it's like a great kind of shortcut and the control over your attention yeah. is like a it's a physical skill it's a it lives in the brain it's a physical skill and you can train that skill the same way that you would train your muscles or your cardio or Damn. the skill of playing the piano or the skill of learning a language. All of those skills that are brain-based skills, you can practice and get better at, just like training your attentional control. Someone in chat uh, said, that's so difficult. I don't think I've ever in my life explained my own boundaries to anyone to the point where I'm not 100% sure what my boundaries even are, which that I fucking... totally natural. Yeah. You are... Why on earth would you know what your boundaries are if you haven't thought about them and talked about them? And they're probably connected to your values, which is another thing people don't think about. Totally. So to, to begin with, I would think, and like you should read about this stuff too, like read some moral philosophy. It helps us to kind of like find a starting point, you know, but, but uh, I would think about a couple of core values and that's probably going to inform your boundaries, you know? So if you think about what your interpersonal values are, what's important to you about how to act interpersonally, that's going to help you think about, okay, well, these are my values. So these are probably boundaries that I need to set up to protect those values. Mm -hmm. And for sure, this starts inside. Like you got to think about this stuff, spend time with it, you know, and then it's easier to talk about it with somebody else. Yeah. So this person in the chat, it makes perfect sense. And that's very common. Yeah, that's that. Like what I was thinking when you were saying that thing initially, when you were correcting the, like that, the thoughts you can't control, but uh, your reactions or or your attention, your attention, not even your reactions, your attention right. is right. where you get. You can even react, react however you want. It's just what do you decide to do with that? Right. That 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 I think like the, the first thought I had before the person even said that was I was like bound boundaries are just so fucking impossible. Like they're so hard for us naturally because i just feel like we don't think about them until you learn some tool like you i don't know some people i've met i'm just blown away that they had some sense of self early on and are able to see separation between themselves and other people or themselves and their environment they're them you know what i mean like that they can recognize there's a part of themselves that has some choice over you know where that attention goes or what they're you know that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas I've always felt like just this completely amorphous, like liquid thing that just feels like completely entangled with everybody and everything in my surroundings. And a lot of like early anxiety, depression type things that were tough for me that I think had to do with uh, ego and ego death. And, you know, well, ultimately ego death is what helped it or, or, you know, the times you could kind of create that sort of vibe. But like, the feeling that um, – the way I always described it was that like the universe was uh, a thing inside of me and not the other way around. So like all the problems of the world and all the things were just like my fault and they were just like something that – you know, in, and it sounds so crazy but like this abstract thing where just like I'm fucked up and that somehow bleeds into everything else and this sort of like weird solipsism instead of being yeah. able to – reverse it and be like no no that's a person and i'm a person and yes we're all connected in this sort of existential all in the fabric of reality way but it's not like my responsibility and even like i don't know i guess just figuring out those boundaries of where where your capabilities i don't I don't like the word actually responsibilities but i do like the idea of taking responsibility for myself and feeling like i find that empowering yes and so i think another way to think about taking responsibility for yourself is you know, your thoughts and emotions are like hardwired into your organism. It's like so deeply a part of what the body and brain do is to mm. have thoughts and make emotions about them that you don't don't concern yourself with trying to clamp down on that. Something happens and you get angry. Natural. There's nothing wrong with getting angry. It's a total it's a normal human emotion. The question is, what do you do with that? How do you behave as a result of that? And that should be informed by your values and boundaries. And the way that you negotiate between these things is by controlling your attentional spotlight. So somebody says something to you, you get mad. It happens like this. Mm -hmm. Are you mad for getting mad? No, it's just a thing that bodies do. They 
produce these things and we interpret them as anger. It's fucking totally normal. Yeah. So somebody does something, you get mad. But then you need to decide with your emotional, with your, excuse me, attentional spotlight, do you want to invest in this emotion? How do you want to interpret it? How do you want to behave as a result? And how does that line up with your values and boundaries? Yeah. That would be kind of the role of attention in negotiating between spontaneous thought and emotion, but then actual behavior and your personal behavior. Somebody, and I will, this will probably be the last little thing, but I want to just finish with this question, this, this clarification, uh, ask, can you give an example of values? Because you use that concept often and they're not sure what that could mean. Sure. So it could be, I mean, it could be something as simple as honesty, right? I want to be honest in my, in the personal relationships. Yeah. It could be something like when I make a commitment, I'm going to stick to it. Right. So for example, like the classic thing, if I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go. I mean, this doesn't happen anymore, but presumably we'll get out of the house at some point. And so like, let's say Jared and I make a plan to go to jujitsu on Saturday morning, but then I'm fucking tired and I don't feel like it, but I told him I would. So I go anyway, that would be an example of the value of keeping my word. Yeah. Another value could be um, to when you feel a boundary has been violated to in that moment, say that directly to the other person. That could be a value of yours that you're going to be honest about your uh, boundary expectations with someone else. That, that could be another example. They're kind of like computer code. I mean, it's like code. It's like a code for like of your type of person you want to be. Another value could be, you know, if you hear somebody say something racist, you call them out on the spot. Right. You know, that could be another value. Or it could be a value that you don't do that unless you think it's going to lead to a productive conversation. That right. could be a value. Right. So there are all kinds of gradations, and it's something that you got to think about for yourself. For me, like, effectiveness is a value of mine. It's like my, like, in therapy, it's like my kind of... Uh, like guiding principle is effectiveness. So I am reluctant to do things unless I think they're going to be effective in this situation, mm. which is why I don't like comment on people's crazy bullshit online. Like I just don't do it. Right. You know, I just won't do it because I know it's not effective. So even though I, make, I might want to, that's an important uh, value for me, effectiveness. Yeah. And so I don't get involved in like taxing things that I just don't think are going to be effective. I go back and forth on that that one. It's tough for me. I have started posting the COVID patient waiver. That's as far as I'll go. I don't even, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Like when there's like a waiver form where, you know, it's like, I mean, it's not real, you know, it's not just a thinking device, I think, where it's like, I, you know, I'm showing up to protest, but I waive all <laughs> like coronavirus related treatment and Fuck. I... Like I, I waive my right to be treated in a hospital. I waive my right to any of this treatment. And so when people are like, I want to go out and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just post that. That's so funny. That's like, yeah. I mean, I'm a shit poster, dude. I love to fucking, I just love it. I love to troll. Yeah, yeah, and not everyone's values and boundaries are the same and they don't need to be right. It's, it's for you. Yeah. I think also like it has to do with probably just the side of the fence we fall in is like creative, expressive people is like my instinct is to like try to fight the good fight with jokes with like memes yeah, and shit posting and mockery and sarcasm. Right. Whereas I am totally sanctimonious. And so I can't, Love I it. can't, I would post like eight paragraphs with links. I will say that like the values thing, I, I think about that a lot and like developing a person. I try to like for myself and just my weird Libra brain or whatever, just, I want to like figure out my, how I, cause Libras. did you know that? Did, are you? When's your birthday? Yeah. October 18th. Oh, I'm October 1st. Wow. Libras. Well, that explains a lot. That's it. We believe in astrology now. I, I like astrology. It's fun, you know? It's a fun diagnostic little thing. It's a thing to reflect on. I just think it's like Jungian dream stuff. Same with tarot, where it's yeah. in your life somehow. It is. So just ref you just makes you reflect on it. It's a storytelling device. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> as a Libra, um, that I've thought a lot because I have very strong opinions about like what's good and what's bad. Like it feel like what's being a good person, what's being a bad person. It feels like really obvious to me in this way, in this, you know, sanctimonious way. So I've tried to like define for myself like what that means and and try to, you know, go go with it uh like like even when it's uncomfortable or whatever. And but I think the simplest one that I don't know, so far these are my like working personal laws of values is like the first law is uh don't um 
don't violate other people's sovereignty. <laughs> that like the, the idea of a boundary is like you just don't fuck with other people. You don't cause them pain. You don't uh, invade their space, like mentally, physically, like whatever. You just let people have a bubble and understand that they are real human beings. No solipsism. They have the same yes. expression as well. My second law is they're not allowed to violate your sovereignty. And I just like to prioritize other people because i think if we do that one first we don't act like fucking maniacs and then the second one is like understanding that you are allowed to also have your space and be and that's very hard for me and then i think other ones that follow up end up being like if you can then do it like if you if you can help then do it if if you have the ability then do it like one one that's come up a lot for me lately that i think is like a really poisonous we have this really poisonous idea of fairness and that fairness is put into like a capitalist sort of sense of like a ledger is like um is like everybody deserve like should equally contribute or something like that to every situation and uh and i think the idea of fairness gets gets uh corrupted into like this way that they make you think it's like good um but in real life is like the easiest example would be like if um a very small child who's five years old and uh my brother who's a big strong man like were hiking together and they had an, they had like a hundred pounds of stuff to carry it wouldn't be it would be fair <laughs> to give half of it to the child and half of it to kyle but that's not real life and that there's no such thing as fairness. There's just what's in front of you and what do you want to do to make suffering as low as possible and to ensure the expression of human beings as much as you can to their fullest extent and to just be helpful and like do your best. And that like yeah. if you are focused on fair instead of just like what are we capable of and how could we – you know what I mean? It, it, that makes a more fluid um, way to deal with the universe. I'm less concerned about abstract fairness and more concerned about minimizing suffering and maximizing happiness. Boom. Yeah. Uh, the uh, other, um, oh fuck, I blanked on it. You were saying something before that I wanted to respond to. Sovereignty that, like, stuff? Oh yeah. So thank you. So I think uh, one nice starting place, like in moral philosophy is Kant's categorical imperative. And part of the categorical imperative is that all people are ends in themselves, not means to your ends or means to other people's ends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a nice, that, that's basically what you're saying. Cool. People are ends in themselves, you know? Um, yeah. At the same time, I don't have to agree with their aims and goals. Right. You know? And I also and think I you have to, think... go ahead. Well, go, sorry. No, well, no, I'm just getting on personal bullshit, but that's a good one, I think. Yeah. It, it's all, it is tough. Like you do have to, there's fluidity to it. And, um, and I think there's also like, you can't, you can't get, I don't know. You have to maintain self-respect for yourself as well. And like a kind of like bullshit detector thing of like, I also yes. think you can't let people take your life energy forever by saying everything that you've done to like that, like, I don't know. I think I think it's very easy. The thing I'm always nervous about with my own like mental illness and stuff like that. I'll just speak from that in terms of like instead of being bothered by other people. It's like I I talk about all the time on this show is like I'm always worried about this line between recognizing the reality of mental illnesses I have and the effect they have on me and validating that without letting those feelings be totally ruled. There's like like ruling me completely. Like without sacrificing my own choice and capability to improve my situation and i'm not talking about a straight up just like everything's bootstraps in my mind and everybody should just toughen the fuck up but no. but what you said earlier about like where do i put my attention and and where um where do i realize and empower myself to say like i am allowed to make choices i can make choices uh is really important to me and you know getting better about my own boundaries about recognizing when other people are like bad faith leading me down this thing and saying that you're fucking with them or something over and over again or that you you owe certain things to them based on like my first law of don't violate sovereignty which is like why the second one is there too which is like well yeah but you can't do that to me like you're you're taking me for a ride that i think is bad faith or is just like not my responsibility and that has to be allowed as well and it's just hard anytime you get too black and white or try to make laws and codes for yourself to, to be like i don't know you have to allow for this fluidity of value of like you know values can change you know i mean they're yeah. probably more or less 
Well, they're probably like relatively difficult to change, or I think if they should, they don't. You don't want them to be too easy to change because then they lose kind of right. their role as guidepost to behavior. But of course, they have to change based on your growth and development, new information, new skills, new abilities. You know. Yeah, it's. I think it's like. Oh, sorry. I think just because of my own things and having gone through them, I have like a weird knee jerk resentment for people who glibly um use their own mental health issues or whatever as an excuse for whatever behavior that they that they have you know and never try to fix it and don't fucking care about how it affects other people and don't care about always being a problem yeah. i'm no, like you're not allowed to do that i sympathize well, and but you're not allowed <laughs> well if people want to do that that's fine it's just it's not going to involve me you know I mean, right right the thing is validation has to be the precursor to change. Mm-hmm. That's why we validate. Right. Valid as a precursor to change. Validation by itself is not the recipe. Validation is an ingredient and it's a necessary ingredient, but it's not sufficient. You also need change. Yes. So validation is what allows you to accept your the reality, the temporary reality of your circumstances in order to have a foundation that you can start yeah. building change on. But if people aren't interested in doing any change, right? well, that's okay. That's on you. You know, I mean, yeah, I think my harsh feelings about it kind of have to do with my harsh. They're just towards myself. I don't, I don't think it's harsh. It's not, mm. it's people are not responsible. This is another DBT assumption. It's very unlikely that you're responsible for all of your problems. That's very, very unlikely mm-hmm. okay, that you are responsible for all of your problems. I don't believe. Right, but you are going to be responsible for fixing most of them. Yes, that you've said that before, and I fucking love every time. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. It's like, and again, this has to do with the like, to me, the poisonous concept of fairness. And somebody in here um, said fairness versus justice, uh, like that. And I think that's a pretty good start to those distinctions. Is that like yeah. the obsession with fairness to me is is also like crippling to me when I just go like, it's just not fucking fair. It's not. It's like very unfortunate the things that happen that you didn't deserve. Uh, but unfortunately, the only way I'm going to fix the pains that I feel or the traumas or whatever is if I <laughs> go in and do that work. And I also think that's important with some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. About about confronting friends or talking talking to friends about difficult feelings or loved ones is if I'm too focused on fair, I, I put I put all my agency for change into the hands of people who might never give it to me. Like when my dad doesn't give me the response that I want or the apology or the like, you know, whatever, what are you going to do? I'm very lucky that my mom has done a lot of personal work that I genuinely feel her doing the work like means I don't have to do certain types of, you know, crisis work. But if she didn't, do any of that work like i don't want to just surrender my life to like oh well the people in my they didn't do it so i can't so i can't do it and that's like very important to me is is not surrendering like all my power i think the other thing i was going to say is just that yes if i realize that i'm putting my life energy into something where i really want us to feel better to be better to be better versions of ourselves to not have to be in pain every day and someone is expressing that they have a similar feeling and then you realize one day that like they don't really want to change that like they're doing the the therapy thing of like i just show up every week for my for my validation drug and i never then i i have like i get very upset i feel like it's very um like mean of them to do that i feel very like attacked almost sometimes where i'm just like oh you're like lying to me like you're like taking advantage of this thing and i really think that it is like a a thing of like because I feel like I've done that maybe, you know, without knowing that. And and now I'm like, I just don't fucking like when people do that. I'm like, you better good faith want to get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard, you know, make, changing things is really hard. And so I understand when people aren't there, you know, I mean, like I fail at it. It's also not a light switch, you know, you, it's elliptical. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're there, sometimes you're not, sometimes you're like, oh, fuck, I'm doing the thing, you know. Right. Like, that's it's not linear upward trajectory progress, you know, and uh, I'm, I work on it myself. And when someone wants to work on it, I'm there. Yeah. If they don't want to work on it and like we've explicitly talked about it and they don't want to do that, that's fine. I'm just not the therapist for them. Yeah. And if they want to work on it later, the door is always open. You know? Yeah. I just think I'll just say this last thing about that is like 
for people to reflect on because some I just have a feeling some people will relate to this. If you have a relationship in your life that seems to have a lot of drama in it all the time and that you are constantly having these really beautiful, dramatic breakthrough conversations that are hard talks, but at the end of it, you're like, damn, we made a lot of progress here and this relationship is going to be good now. But then it happens again and it just keeps fucking happening. I I ask you to reflect on that relationship and think to yourself, wait a minute. I know I'm here trying to get to the part of the relationship that's not the fighting. To get to the part that is the peace and the creativity and the curiosity and the joy and the friendship and whatever the fuck it is. Just the good part, you know? And if you realize that maybe for the other person, the conflict is the relationship and that their favorite part is the working it out. Their favorite part is, oh my God, I, we're finally seeing each other. We're getting through. Oh, fuck, that feels good. If you recognize that, that sort of lack of self-reflection in the other person and that maybe they're just in love with that process and how good it feels to have the catharsis of the fight and the understanding and the, oh, you're allowed to leave that <laughs> and be like, oh, I want to have the relationship I don't like that part. I'm suffering through that part and toughing it out so I can get to the other part. But you realize that, you know what I mean? I just think that's a common pattern and I've experienced it. I've been wholeheartedly good faith being like, fuck yeah, this is worth it. This is so beautiful. It's not. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. Um, all right. I love you guys. Thank you so much. I think we're going to wrap this up today. We went a little over because I started a little late. I want to say specifically also, I'll just add to the end here, Ronan, thank you for all your contributions today. You're really active in the in the chat and some great questions that really help move some stuff along. Anyway, um, I uh, I will post this one and I'll post the last couple weeks as well. I know I've been a little bit uh, off behind whatever on our posting the good, bad brains to the pod, but I will do that. And I'm going to set some other stuff up, hopefully. Uh, we'll keep doing, obviously, every day. Oh, this is what I was going to spring on you. Are you available in 45 minutes? Do you want to lead a little quarantine um, meditation thing? Yeah, I could do like a quick one. But you're not on oh, You're not on Instagram, are you? No. Yeah, it's okay. Let's turn it up for next week. We'll, we'll All right, that's fine. Yeah, I, I didn't, I'm sorry I just sprung it on you, but I've, I've been wanting to do that. And it's been nice having on the weekends, having, um, you know, just folks come co-teach and stuff like that uh okay well thanks so much dude uh if you guys want to buy any like shirts or anything like that you can go to mygoodbadbrain.com and if you want to go to the patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain you can also go there and support the pod um and that's that's uh that's it i'm, I'm gonna post there these the drive where we put these resources uh dr nick gave me a couple this week i have some from the previous weeks i promise i'll give you guys to mygoodbadbrain maintenance and this stuff will come up in your podcast feed this week <clears throat> Probably too much. You're going to get like three episodes in a week. It's going to be great. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for hanging out. And uh, thank all of you. We'll see you guys next week or in 45 minutes if you're coming for QC. I think we're going to do... I'm going to do a little foam rolling and then we'll do some meditation. All right. Later. Take care. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, My Good Bed Brain is a production of MindJam Media. My little media company. Thanks to uh, Coda for making this theme song with me. And uh, that's it. MyGoodBadBrain.com. Patreon.com slash MyGoodBadBrain. You're the best. Have a good one. Self-care. Hydrate. Be well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.